transmitting live from the top of the Empire State Building on 99.5 FM, WBAI New York, Pacifica Radio for the Tri-State Area. This is Trump Watch, a weekly series investigating the actions of and reactions to President Donald J. Trump and his administration. I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Conrad, Tokyo, Sparrow, Pistachio, just done This morning we're tweeting about your mental state. Why did you feel the need to tweet about that this morning? Well, only because I went to uh, the best colleges, or college. Uh, I went to a, uh, I had a situation where I was a very excellent student, came out, made billions and billions of dollars, became one of the top business people, went to television and for 10 years was a tremendous success, as you probably have heard. Uh, ran for president one time and won. And then I hear this guy that uh, does it not know me, doesn't know me at all. By the way, did not interview me for three. He said he interviewed me for three hours in the White House. It didn't exist, okay? It's in his imagination. So many of the people that I talk about in terms of fake news actually came to the defense of this great administration and even myself because they know the author and they know he's a fraud. I consider it a work of fiction. And I think it's a disgrace that somebody's able to uh, have something, do something like that. The libel laws are very weak in this country. If they were strong, it, uh, it would be uh, very helpful. You wouldn't have things like that happen where you can say whatever comes to your head. That was President Donald Trump speaking to a gaggle of reporters at the White House on Friday, footage courtesy of Reuters. The president was responding to the allegations made in a new blockbuster book, Fire and Fury Inside the Trump White House, by New York columnist Michael Wolff. In it, Wolff, whose own journalistic practices have been questioned in light of statements he's made, such as the fact he would say anything it took in order to get access in the White House for this recent book, alleges that, quote, 100% of the people around Trump believe he is unfit for office. It was also the alleged comments in the book from former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon, in which he called Donald Trump Jr. unpatriotic and treasonous for meeting with a Russian lawyer at Trump Tower and said that special counsel Robert Mueller and his team were going to, quote, crack Don Jr. like an egg on national TV. Wolf claims Bannon also called the president's daughter, Ivanka Trump, quote, dumb as a brick. Though Bannon issued an apology on Sunday, as reported in The Washington Post, claiming his statements to Wolf, who had been granted a level of White House access extremely rare for journalists, had been quote-unquote mischaracterized, but the damage had apparently already been done. Last Wednesday, when the first excerpts of Fire and Fury were made public, President Trump released a statement through the White House press office that, quote, Steve Bannon has nothing to do with me or my presidency. When he was fired, not only had he lost his job, he lost his mind. The following day, Bannon's longtime benefactor, Rebecca Mercer, announced that she and her billionaire father, Robert Mercer, were no longer financially supporting Bannon. And yesterday, Bannon stepped down from his post as executive chairman of Breitbart News. Does this signify Donald Trump's move towards the establishment Republican leaders like Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, both of whom, oddly enough, happened to be spending quality time with the president at Camp David this past weekend while a lot of the Bannon drama was unfolding? Will this have a major long-term effect or just be another chapter in the daily drama at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? 
Hello and welcome to Trump Watch. With an administration as chaotic as this one, figuring out which of the dizzying array of actions taken by the Trump administration are going to have the longest lasting consequences can be a difficult task. Fortunately, our guest Michael Grunwald, senior staff writer for Politico magazine and author of the article, Donald Trump is a consequential president, just not in the ways you think, has a system for this. Entitled the Did It Matter Meter and expressed with a a speedometer-like graphic, rather, Michael assigns issues two numbers on a scale of one to ten, short-term impact and potential importance. We're mostly going to focus on that second metric tonight and look at some issues Michael has recently rated and even ask him to rate some new breaking news like the Michael Wolf book on what their long-term effect will be. Hello, Michael. Welcome back to WBAI. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Let's start with the area that you believe could be Trump's greatest legacy, and that is his impact on the courts. Can you talk about what some of the longer lasting changes the president has made in the judicial branch of government for people keeping score at home? You ranked the short term importance of Trump's picks for federal and Supreme Court justices as a six uh, and the potential long term importance as a ten. Well, I think uh, in terms of policy importance, what Trump does with the courts um, could be really significant because it will outlast him. Um, When you appoint a Supreme Court justice like Neil Gorsuch, um, you know, they could sit on the court for 30, 40 years, uh, you know, long after Trump is gone. And there's no question that Trump's appointees so far have been Federalist Society conservatives who will definitely move American jurisprudence to the right. Um, You could look at this as sort of more of a victory for Mitch McConnell, who kept that seat open for uh, for Corsic by by blocking Barack Obama's appointee, Merrick Garland. Uh, But certainly in terms of just pure policy uh, impact, you know, other than tax reform, which uh, could be a pretty big deal, and what he's doing on immigration, which could be immediately a pretty big deal, um, the judges are mostly what he's got so far. Yes, I thought that was a really interesting point that you made in the piece, that really the first departure from presidential norms came back in the Obama administration when McConnell chose to block that nominee, which you make the point that that led to the the um, election of Trump. Maybe if you could connect some of those dots for the listeners. Right. I mean, everybody sort of realizes that McConnell, by blocking Garland, he sort of uh, made it that if a Republican won, then the Republican could appoint a judge. But he also made it much more likely that, that Trump would win. Because remember, Back, uh, you know, back in the fall of, of 2016, particularly after the Access Hollywood tape came out and you know, remember uh, Trump was trashing a Mexican-American judge just for being Mexican-American and he was making fun of a disabled reporter for being disabled and uh, there were 20 women coming out with sexual misconduct allegations. Uh, there were a lot of Republicans who were very uneasy about the idea of Donald Trump as president. And by keeping Merrick Garland off the court and keeping that that slot vacant, uh, McConnell was essentially giving these Republicans who might be reluctant to otherwise vote for Trump a good reason to say, well, there is a Supreme Court 
justice at, uh, at, you know, at stake here. So I guess I'll hold my nose and do it. And certainly uh, Trump did way better in holding the Republican base than anybody expected. And he made this sort of unprecedented move of releasing a list of justices that he would choose from to nominate, right? Exactly, exactly. And they were really kind of uh, Scalia types, as he said. And, uh, and, and those Scalia types, that, that's been a promise he's kept. And, he, uh, and that, those, those Scalia types will, will be on the course for decades. Right. And the federal courts, uh, you're saying some of the people on that list who uh, didn't end up uh, on the Supreme Court will potentially end up on federal court circuits. Yeah, they already have. He's uh, he's had a he's he's gotten to appoint quite a few appeals court judges, partly because, again, the uh, the McConnell Senate um, kept so many seats vacant for for so long under Obama. Another issue you ranked as having a potential importance of a 10 is the blustery, confrontational, uh, some would even say isolationist way that Trump has departed from traditional modes of international diplomacy. Do you believe he deserves any credit with this style for the talks yesterday between envoys from North and South Korea, the first of such talks in two years? According to Reuters, South Korean President uh, Moon Jae-in credited Trump for the talks. Uh, Is this just diplomacy or do you think um, that that Trump actually deserves some credit? You know, I don't, I don't really know. You're 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 asking a little bit above my pay grade, and I wouldn't pretend to be a a Korea expert. Um, certainly, what Trump has done, though, I mean, he he's not he's not really he doesn't pride himself much on diplomacy. He sort of prides himself on anti-diplomacy. He's sticking his middle finger up to the world. Uh, he would say he's getting tough, and so um, he would say that when you know if you talk tough with uh, with guys like like the North Korean dictator, that he'll come around to do what you want to do. Um, Certainly with the Paris Climate Accord, um, where a lot of his advisors were urging him to just go along with the rest of the world, and the United States is now standing alone and denying climate science. Uh, You look at what he's done with Cuba, you look at what he's done with the, the TPP trade agreement where he's kind of flipped off Asia and now with with Mexico where he's you know he said they're going to pay for the wall and and now he's really made a bunch of quite extreme demands uh, in terms of the NAFTA negotiations that nobody really thinks a Mexican president uh, would be able to to accept and still keep his job he's essentially saying it's my way or the highway Um, With Paris, he took the highway, and we'll see what happens on all these other issues. We're mostly focusing on the long-term impact of Trump actions today, but it is worth noting that there was only one issue in your Politico magazine piece that had both a short-term impact and potential long-term importance rating of 10, and that is the, the treatment, the way the Trump administration has responded to the crisis in Puerto Rico. Why do you believe this is Trump's Katrina, as you say in the article, and do you believe it will be remembered in the same way? Well, I mean, one thing I tried to talk about in this piece is that, uh, you know, uh, you always hear about, oh, this is a distraction, that is a distraction, you know, his lies are a distraction, his craziness is a distraction. And there's some truth to that in that, you know, there's just one outrage after another, one kind of thing that we've never seen uh, happening every hour. 
and it makes it, you know, the, you can't constantly find yourself saying, God, can you imagine if Obama had done this? But, uh, you know, Obama, there must have been like a dozen of Obama's Katrinas. And never did Obama have a natural disaster where he came out and trashed the victims, um, basically said that, uh, you know, right away that we can't we can't be there forever, um, that Wall Street's going to have to get paid for their bonds, um, pretty much came out and said that uh, that they're having trouble because they're lazy and ungrateful. Um, really some shocking stuff that we've forgotten. And, you know, we're now months later and, you know, a third of the island still doesn't have power. You know, a couple hundred thousand Americans who live on the island are moving off the island. And it's really a tragedy. I mean, this is a, you know, he's just the lack of American response to a tragedy in our midst is sort of destroying a really important part of the country. And I don't think that's going to be forgotten either by Puerto Ricans or ultimately, uh, you know, by history. Is this disaster relief uh, the problems? Are the problems in Puerto Rico systematic of a wider issue with the Trump administration? Or is this kind of negligence specific to Puerto Rico? Well, I mean, certainly... uh, you know, the the in many ways, the administration has been a kind of um, the polite way to say it, I guess, in the military, they call it a Charlie Foxtrot, right? Cluster, you know what? <laughs> um, and uh, and Puerto Rico is certainly example, an example of that. But uh, it's it, this is a case um, where it's not just incompetence, but hostility. Uh, now, if you want to say it's because it's people of color or because it's people who didn't vote for him or who knows, um, but this is a case where Trump reacted to a natural disaster in America in a way that no president ever has by blaming the victims of the disaster. Um, and so I think it's not a surprise that the cavalry has, you know, it's arrived to some extent, but certainly not in force. And if there was a state in the continental United States that had you know, no power for four months, people would be up in arms about it. You know, the Atlanta airport lost power for a few hours and it was a a national story. So I do think you see all kinds of really crazy stuff happening in the administration. And certainly you see the infighting and backstabbing uh, that's happening inside the White House. Um, But this is not just, uh, you know, an example of Trump having no experience and most of the people around him, like Jared Kushner and Ivanka, and uh, even Steve Bannon when he was there and and Reince Priebus and so many others in the White House who had no governing experience. This was not just bad governing, but a sort of decision not to govern. I'm speaking with Michael Grunwald, a senior staff writer for Politico magazine and creator of Politico's Did It Matter meter uh, following the Trump administration. And we're going through some different issues during uh, Trump's first year uh, to hear his predictions for which of these decisions will have the most long lasting consequences. Uh, this is Trump Watch on WBAI New York. I'm Jesse Lent. Um, so one of the points 
Michael, that I found the most thought-provoking in your article was the idea you describe in the section entitled, The Sideshow is the Real Show. And I just want to read briefly from this section, because I think this is a really interesting point, and have you comment on the other side. So you write, when Trump's critics aren't describing him as a dithering narcissist with infantile impulse control, they tend to describe him as an evil genius who manipulates his enemies with a look at the shiny ball misdirection. Their mantra is don't get distracted and skipping ahead for time. Well, it all matters. Trump's policies matter, but so do his frequent attacks on people of color. It's easy to succumb to outrage fatigue, but it's not normal that only three of Trump's 57 nominees to be U.S. attorney have been women or that he's only in uh, that he's interviewed only the ones most likely to oversee cases that affect him personally or that he's reportedly pressured Senate investigators to drop their inquiry into his campaign again skipping ahead the point is that the crazy stuff Trump does is not a distraction from the important stuff Trump does it's important when the president does crazy stuff so how much do you think Trump is changing the so-called norms of the presidency forever with this crazy stuff, as you refer to it, or how much of this would snap back if uh, to, to, to more traditional norms if a more traditional politician is his predecessor? Well, you know, there's a lot of people ask about that a lot, and I always think it's the wrong question. You know, uh, you know, there's this, oh, he's setting a terrible precedent for future presidents. Um, gosh, you know, our future president's going to break these norms. I mean, this guy still has three three years left in his term. You know, let's, let's get past, let's get through this. And those norms existed for a reason. They constrained a lot of behavior that we don't want presidents to engage in. And, and now they, you know, this one does. I mean, I, I started my article with the, about how when Pre President Trump on his first day, you know, when he started his inaugural address, rain began to fall. And a few hours later, he went out in public at one of the inaugural brawls and he said that the rain had not begun to fall. He was just setting the stage that this is, you know, that he is not constrained by previous norms that presidents should at least pretend to tell the truth. He doesn't care. And, uh, you know, he'll, it was weird when he retweeted false crime stats, but everybody called it out and he continues to do it. He is violating these norms that were norms for a reason. And, uh, and the danger, you know, when he trashes uh, Iran or North Korea, in ways that we've seen before. Yeah, we should worry about whether that's going to have an effect on future presidents, but we should also worry about whether it's going to start a nuclear war because that would have a pretty big impact before the next president. Yeah, I could see that having an impact on the next election. <laughs> <laughs> that's certainly the pool of candidates. Um, uh, Michael, let's get into some of the newer developments um, that have happened since you published the article and what um, what you think of their significance. Uh, let's start with Steve Bannon, uh, his fallout with Donald Trump that I was um, going into at the top of the show. On your did it matter scale of one to 10, what do you see the long-term significance being of the president parting ways with his one-time chief strategist? Well, you mentioned the possibility that it does seem like Trump is sort of embracing more of the Republican establishment. And I think in general, the uh, the just the 
the symbiotic relationship between Trump and the Republicans has been a huge story of this administration. Uh, you know, another violation of norms, but just this notion that Trump can count on them not investigating him and they can count on him signing everything, anything they send to his desk is uh, is really important. And to the extent that, you know, getting Bannon out of the way and getting his funding out of the way means that uh, Bannon is not going to be a significant threat to the Republican establishment. I think that's somewhat important. Um, I still think that Bannonism is to some extent Trumpism. And, you know, Trump had already rejected the, the, the part of Bannonism that was, uh, you know, that didn't like tax cuts for the rich um, and didn't like business friendly, you know, sort of doing industries bidding. Um, but Trump has really embraced the the Bannon stuff about race and immigration and and uh, anti-globalism. So I assume that will continue whether whether Bannon's there or not. And what about the fallout for the fire and the fury in general? And we should mention here again that Michael Wolff's methods have been questioned. It's very difficult to know how much of this is true when his past reporting has been found to have flaws. Yeah, and this too. I mean, I saw he was saying like, you know, every book has, you know, plenty of mistakes. I mean, I wrote a book about the Obama White House, and I'm sure some people liked it and some people didn't, but nobody challenged a single fact in the entire 350-page book. Um, Michael Wolff is really sloppy, and so he's just become another foil for Trump. Um, Obviously, his main point, which is that a lot of people in the White House are sort of unnerved by what's going on and uh, feel that he's sort of a child. I mean, we've seen people call it adult daycare from before. That's that's not really new. Um, it's you know it's certainly having a, an impact on the country, but I don't know if it's actually changing minds. He's already a very unpopular president. Um, will this make him even more unpopular? It's uh, it's hard to say, but it's hard to imagine something this sloppy really moving the needle significantly. So speaking of the needle, one to ten on the long term significance of the Fire and Fury book. <laughs> well, this would be one of the few. I mean, I, I on almost all of them, I had the you know much greater long term significance than short term significance. But I think this uh, this takes a lot of oxygen for the next couple weeks, and so you put it probably an eight on the short term significance and probably a two or a three on the long term significance. And why do you think, considering Wolf's questionable credibility, why do you think Trump has pushed so hard to get this book banned, to get it to not come out? Would any of us be talking about this if he hadn't uh, reacted so strongly to what was in the book? Well, I think you sort of have, there are two answers to that. One answer is he got pissed, and when Trump gets pissed, he says, you know, he lashes out. That's just what he does. Um, But that said, he does pick his enemies. And you could see why, like, this sort of hoity-toity uh, New York City journalist, you know, elite journalist who, you know, does his reporting at dinner parties is kind of a nice foil for Trump um, in the same way that he clearly has purposely singled out, you know, athletes who, you know, black athletes who kneel, uh, journalists of color to fight with them because it's a, it's a fight he wants to have. That's something that Bannon always used to talk about. Um, you could see that, uh, you know, he'd rather fight with with, uh, you know, with Michael Wolf than a reporter with more credibility. What additional things but besides what we've talked about, what major decisions do you think Trump will 
uh, be remembered for or will linger long after he's left the White House? Well, that's that's a great question. I mean, certainly, you know, there are policy issues that 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 will I, I think historians will be kind of perplexed that after, you know, after the United States government finally acknowledged the climate emergency, that once Trump took office, they decided to unacknowledge it. Um, and certainly his uh, his environmental policies, at least for the next four years, will have a lot of impact. And on immigration, too, um, the idea that he that he has really sort of said that the United States is no longer wants to be a welcoming country, that immigrants are something to be feared rather than something to be welcomed and treasured um, and respected. That, I think, is, is a big change. But and look, you know, the tax, the tax cuts matter, the health, you know, the sabotage of Obamacare matters. But when you're really honest with yourself, look, I'm a policy dork. I write about policy. That's mostly what I do. But if you try to think in 10 years, are people really going to remember Trump's policies or are they going to remember the, the craziness, the Michigas, the, uh, the you know what show? I mean, it's really hard to believe that he's going to be remembered for lowering tax rates. I mean, it's hard to say what's going to happen. And God forbid, hopefully it won't be a nuclear war. Hopefully all of our allies won't start hating us. But it's going to be something weird, and it's going to be something that a lot of people now say, you know, oh, that's a distraction. That's uh, that's you know, don't don't pay attention to that. Let's focus on the real story. Thank you so much. Uh, my pleasure. My guest has been Michael Grunwald, senior staff writer for Politico magazine and the author of the article, Donald Trump is a consequential president, just not in the ways you think, which was featured in the publication's previous issue. You're listening to Trump Watch with Jesse Lent on WBAI New York. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, One quick plug before I go. I'll be guest hosting for Jordan McLean on the show Making Music this Friday on WBAI from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm honored that Jordan asked me to fill in for him and looking forward to playing some great music for you. Reggie Johnson engineered this program live. You can hear all 55 episodes of Trump Watch with Jesse Lent at soundcloud.com slash trumpwatchwbai or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter where our handle is trumpwatchwbai. And I'll be back next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. when we'll break down another aspect of the Donald Trump administration. Until then, I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time. (laughs) 